God, we are grateful to you tonight for your loving kindness, for your mercy that is new every morning, for your faithfulness that is unending. And God, as we think through um, the situation that we've been praying over for over a week now for Logan and this car accident that he was in and the, the way that his body um, was suffering because of it, God, certainly there were points where uh, people didn't know if he was going to live. And to get the report today that he is awake and he is um, able to process things and understand and communicate, um, God, we praise you for that because we know that you're the one who's in control of all things. God, we thank you that you allow us to have faith in, in dark times, that we can know that we're not just speaking to some distant God, but we can have a relationship with you. And certainly that brings a level of comfort that nothing else can bring. So we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. Let this be a reminder to us to take everything to you in prayer, understanding that you are truly in control. We pray for his continued recovery, God, that as he does come to understanding of the car accident that he was in and um, the outcome, that, that you would give him great grace in his own life, that um, he would find mercy um, in his time of need. And God, we know that you can grant that, and we pray that you will. Be with us now as we look to your word. May our hearts be encouraged. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, if you did not get one of these books, I think there's four left out there, and uh, I would encourage you to run and get one if you didn't. Um, we're not supposed to be selfish, but it's okay to be selfish when it comes to a book. At least that's what my mind says. Um, so grab one, and I encourage you to read through it. We are going to kind of talk through the method that the author puts forth in this book concerning prayer, and then we're just going to talk about what that looks like in our lives daily. Last time, we talked about the different types of prayer, and my challenge was uh, that we should examine our prayer lives to see if we have balance in our communication with God. Uh, we said it's good to praise, uh, but we can't just praise God. It's good to lament, but only lamenting would be pretty depressing after a while if we're just bemoaning the situations in life. It's good to repent, but isn't it true that even true repentance would have elements of thanksgiving in it as we recognize the God that we're repenting to? And so within prayer, we understand that we are communicating with God. We're communicating to the Godhead, the triune God that we worship and serve, the, the God who, who is working in our lives. And it's appropriate to address them in our prayers, uh, but it's also good to have a balance in the prayers that we pray. And as we look through um, the, the model prayer that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Gospel of Luke, um, I think those were two different teachings, honestly. Jesus gave it twice. Um, Jesus is, is reminding us of the types of prayers that we should pray. And so as we think through our prayer life, let's strive for balance. Let's make sure we're speaking to God about all of life because he cares about all of life. And uh, let's, let's make sure that we're utilizing the gift that God has given us to its fullest. I ended the, the week last week, uh, the, or the time last week, with the question, who do you pray to? And I want to I talk about this for a few minutes because I had some good interactions with several of you throughout the week, um, and I do think it's important for us to, to understand what the Bible would set forth as a model of prayer uh, while understanding uh, kind of the concept of, of a, as a whole as we, as we do go to God in prayer. We understand that that's a, a complex thing to say, I go to God in prayer. Well, our God is a complex God, and yet at the same time, He's a very simple God. He's, he's one, as Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, but we also know He's made up in three parts, and I think there is a model that Scripture puts forth, but I do also think that there's some lenience or leeway that he allows in our prayer life to address um, each person of the Godhead. So I appreciated the conversations. It really made me think, and if you want to have a conversation about it and you didn't, I'd love to sit down and talk with you. Deuteronomy 6.4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is known as the Great Shema, and it's the central statement um, that described the beliefs of the Jewish people, the covenant people of God. This, this is in reality something that set them apart from every other nation, that their God was one. Every other nation had many gods. They had gods for this or that or the other thing, but their God was one, and this is something they would teach their children early on. This, this passage in Deuteronomy 6 is surrounded by the passages that tell them when you're walking by the wayside, when you're sitting down in your house, when you're going to bed, 
remind your children of these things because they're important. And so the Jewish fathers would sit down with their children and they would drill into their heads this idea that the Lord is one. And when they quiz their kids, what do you know about our God? They, their desire was for their children to repeat or respond with, the Lord our God is one. And we understand that concept. We, we understand that God is one, but we also understand that our God is triune. He's, he's one God, he's, he's one um, deity, but we understand he's made up of three parts. And I think when we, when we pray, it's important to pray, as I said last week, in a way that the Bible would put forth. And when I ask you, who do you pray to? The quick answer that many gave, and the quick answer that I give, is we pray as the Bible tells us to pray. We pray to the Father, in the name of the Son, and by the power of the Spirit. We pray to the Father because He is the one who has orchestrated all things. We pray in the name of Jesus because He is our intercessor. He's the one who even prays on our behalf. Because of Him, we have a right and a privilege to go to the Father in prayer. So that's why we pray in His name. And we pray understanding that the Spirit being involved in our prayer life is of central importance because He carries our prayers to the Father. And so it's, it, it's confusing, but at the same time, it's very simple. This is the model that we see or the method that we see Jesus outline for us in Luke 11, 1 through 13, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, John 17, Matthew 27. All of these prayers of Christ, he addresses the Father as the one that he's speaking to. Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul is addressing the Father. If you read through the prayers that Paul prays to, for the churches, he addresses the Father as the one that he's speaking to. Colossians 1, 3 is another text that would support that idea. Uh, but one thing that I've said, and I think the Bible would support it, is that we do pray to the Father, but it's good and right and appropriate to address the other parts of the Trinity in our prayer as well. Uh, we can't get so laser-focused that we only think we're talking to God, because our God is one, but He's made up of three parts. But we do, in essence, pray to the Father, for that's what the Bible sets forth to us, but as I said, it's okay to address the, the, the Son and the Spirit in our prayers because our God is a Trinitarian God and our prayers should be Trinitarian focused. That, that as we go to the Godhead, we understand we're talking to the one who orchestrated our salvation, being God the Father, the one who carried out the means of our salvation, which is God the Son, and the one who applies the salvation to our lives, who is the Holy Spirit of God. And so as we go to God in prayer, we, we pray to the Godhead um, but I do think that in, in a general sense, this idea of directing our prayers to the Father in the name of Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit would be the model or the method that the Bible puts forth. Now, some people would balk at that and say, well, that sets God up um, in a system of, of where one is better than the other. Well, no, it doesn't. It recognizes position, not rank. Does that make sense? And so in, in your marriage, the husband is not better than the wife. The wife is not better than the husband. They have positions, but, but it's not a ranking, right? They're, you're of equal importance. We understand the husband is the head of the home, but it's not that the husband rules over his wife with an iron rod saying, you'll submit to everything I want you to do. There, there's there's a, 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 an equalness in the relationship. When God looks at a man and a woman it's the same when he looks at a, a Jew or a Greek or bondman or a freeman. What does he see? He sees one of his children who have come to him by faith. And so as we pray to the Father, it's not that they're ranked in a different order, but it's that we're recognizing their distinct positions that they have as a Trinitarian Godhead. And so as I said, I think it is right to pray to the Father. And in our prayers, we, we certainly do address the Son. Who's ever said, thank you, Jesus? Who's ever prayed for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be felt in a moment in your life. And I do think that's good and right and appropriate. Um, but I think we miss something when we step out of the boundaries that the Bible puts forth. Uh, one author I read this week was saying that if we focus our, our prayers too much on Christ um, or we focus our prayers too much on the Spirit, then we're, we're neglecting what the Bible sets forth as the, the positions that each of these in the Godhead hold. They are one God. 
but they do hold different positions and they do hold different functions. The Son is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father. They're distinct in their roles and that needs to be recognized in our prayer life. And so when I pray in a public setting, um, when I pray in a private setting, most always I will direct my prayers to the Father in the name of the Son. And we don't mention it, maybe we should, in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit because He is a part of the Godhead as well. But if you, if you find yourself throwing up a quick prayer and it's a, a prayer of thanksgiving to, to Jesus as your Savior, then guess what? It's okay to say, thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. It's okay to say, thank you, Spirit, for working in my life in this moment. But I think the general principle of prayer would push this idea that we do pray to the Father in the name of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Anybody have any thoughts on this? Bruce? Absolutely. So I don't know if I've ever gone with a prayer request for the Spirit. Sure. But to praise Him, praise yeah. Jesus for what He's done. Yeah. A lot of our music. Absolutely. We praise Jesus for what He's done. And that, like in the Psalms, is the example that is singing a prayer yeah. to God. Yeah. No, that's good. Good thought. Somebody else. Annie. Yep. That's a good question. In the New Testament, you will find prayers to the Lord, but it's more of a generic word than it is a position of, of, of the Godhead. There are times where Jesus is referenced as the Lord, but doesn't Simeon call Jesus the Lord's Christ? And so some of those things could be a little confusing. And so I, I think even Paul does it some where he references Lord um, and I, I do think it's more of a generic term in some of those cases. I'm not going to say all the cases, um, but in the ones that I looked at this week, I do think it can be a generic term for God or the Godhead. Um, but that's a good question. Somebody else? Evan. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I would. The only way I would push back at that at all, and I know I can do this with Evan, <laughs> is uh, why did Peter call out to the Lord? Because the Lord was present there, right? He was. So I. I think. I, I agree with the concept that he walked the path that we're on, but Jesus was visibly present in that moment, and it would, I would say it's appropriate to say, Lord, save me, because he was the only one that could save in that moment. But I like the thought. I like the concept. Somebody else? I won't push back on any of the rest of you, just Evan. <laughs> Heidi. I think, it, I think when we praise any part of the Trinity, all three get the praise. You, you look at Jesus, um, and I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but he says, Father, glorify me, so what? So I can glorify you and the Spirit, and all, all of us together will be glorified. Um, so I, I do think, that's why I think the model that the Bible sets forth is the best model, because it does address the Godhead as a Trinity, right? It's, it's not just focusing on one aspect or one person of the Trinity, but it's focusing on the Trinity as a whole, recognizing the distinct roles that they have played in us even being able to pray to begin with. Um, we, we get to pray because the Spirit indwells us, because He carries our prayers to 
the Father. We get to pray because of what Christ has done for us and who orchestrated and, and was the master architect in salvation to begin with. God the Father was from before the foundations of the world. And so I'm, uh, this is not something that I would get in a heated debate over. Um, trust me, I wouldn't. But I do think it's important for us to think through. I think it's important for us to, so, so that we don't just get in a rut to understand that I'm talking to a triune God in this moment when I come to prayer and God hears my prayers as his child. That's why we say our heavenly father. And that's a special privileged relationship. I'm close to my brothers, but to get to talk to my dad, that's more special. To get to have my dad pour into my life, that's more special um, in some, some ways as we think about our, our relationship with the Father. But then at the very same time, I love both my brothers, right? And to, to understand that Jesus is my brother and that he died in my place, how significant is that? And that the Spirit indwells me. And so I just, just really wanted you to think through it, and I think it deserves our attention. Um, and all the texts I got this week, I was, I was deeply encouraged. Somebody said, shouldn't we pray to, to Christ because he's he is our intercessor. And I, that's, a, that's a good idea. But I think where that breaks down is, is he's our intercessor because he's praying for us, if that makes sense. And so it's, it's a good thought. Um, but I, again, in my mind, and you'll never convince me otherwise, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and through the power of the Spirit. And I almost did a little, uh, we won't go that route. But uh, <laughs> uh, Any other thoughts? No one else wants to talk. Okay. Well, I hope you read the book, um, and I, I talked to several of you this week, and um, everyone I talked to had encouraging things to say, and I know as I read through it, you know, praying the Bible, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be really deep, and something I'm going to have to work at, it is basic as basic could be. And all it simply is telling you to do, if you haven't read the book yet, is if you're struggling in your prayer life, to take a passage of scripture and pray through it while addressing the very things that you're going through in your life. And if you ever wanted to make sure that your, your prayers were biblically appropriate, if they were guided by Scripture, um, if they were saturated in the Word of God, this is the model to use. Um, I, I admit that I struggle in my prayer life at times, and I said this last week, I've said it from the pulpit, that I just get in the rut or the rhythm of saying the same things over and over and over again. But when you pray a different psalm, or a different scripture every day, it broadens your horizon and, and gives you language that you wouldn't necessarily use apart from filtering your prayers through the Bible. Uh, I think it keeps us focused. Um, at least it did for me as I, as I did it this week. Um, it, it keeps your mind fixed on the one that you're actually talking to about the things that you're facing in life. And so it's not, it's not a complicated concept, and it, it's so simple. In fact, when I read it, I was like, man, why didn't I do this more regularly? Like, it's, it's so simple. Why wasn't this a part of my life? Like, I know the Bible is God's word to me. It's a gift that's been given to us to, to know who our God is. So why wouldn't I want to pray through it in a way um, that has been really already prayed? And, and some people would say, well, isn't that just vain repetitions. No, I think the vain repetitions is honestly the rut we get caught in sometimes, right? Praying the same things over and over again from a, a religious standpoint. It, I think filtering our prayers through the Word of God, and if you pray a different passage every day, you're certainly not going to be repeating yourself because the Bible is rich in the language that it chooses and the way that it, it sets up or the, the way that it's given to us. And so I, I think it's a helpful model um, that especially for, for a younger Christian or a Christian who feels stagnant in their prayer life, it's worth considering um, because it will open up your eyes to the God that you're actually speaking to. As I said a moment ago, aren't we often guilty of just going to God and saying, God, do this by 3.30 on Friday. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, but when you pray the scriptures, it, it does open your eyes to, to maybe a different plan that God could have for you in uh, these moments. And so um, I'm not, I'm not going to go through the book word by word, but I, I do want to break down the concept with you. Um, and I, I want us to turn to Psalm 98 to do this. While you're turning there, um, we have to understand that praying the Bible is not, 
and I don't want to sound foolish in saying this, but it's not a means of interpreting the Bible, if that makes sense. And so praying the Bible, it's really meant to guide your mind to stay focused on the God you're praying to and the things you're praying about. And so one example that he uses is, I think it's Psalm 93, or I can't remember what Psalm he uses, but he says, Lord, if you, if you mark iniquity, who can stand? And he said, you know, if, if you're praying through that psalm and you say the word Mark and your friend Mark comes to your mind, it's surely right and appropriate to pray about your friend Mark in that moment. But understand that passage is not about Mark, right? It's, it's just something that's guiding your prayer life and giving you insight and in how to pray. Or um, the other example he used, which I appreciate, is Psalm 23.3, where he says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, uh, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He said, if you get to that part in Psalm 23.3, and it's, it talks about restoring your soul, you know, we, we could in our prayer life think about all those whose souls have not been restored and pray in an evangelistic way for those who are lost. But if he says, if I was up preaching and I say, the Lord restores my soul, if I was to use that in an evangelistic effort, he said, I would, I would be misusing scripture because it's not an evangelistic passage. Um, but it's appropriate as you're praying the Bible, if God lays that on your heart, remember, we're not interpreting, we're just praying and, and allowing scriptures to guide our prayer life, then it's appropriate um, to, to use what the Spirit places upon our hearts in, those moment because of, in that moment because of what we read in his word to, to bring our prayers to God. So great thought. Uh, what I want to do is, is walk through Psalm 98, and I, wanna, I want us to go verse by verse, and as we read through this, all I want us to do is think through how we could pray this psalm. And so we're going to start with verse 1, and it's simple, but as you read verse 1, don't, don't skip ahead, but read verse 1 right now, and, and think to yourself, if you were praying to God, what out of this psalm could you pray about or for? What could you praise God for? What could you rejoice in? What could you lament over? And, and this is really the process that the author takes us through as we think about broadening our prayer life through praying the scriptures. He says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. If you were to start praying right now and you were praying Psalm, through Psalm 98.1, how would you begin your prayer? Dave. I like that. Dave, did you have your hand up? Praise the God for how strong. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Somebody else? Wendy. It's, it's, it gives you the feeling of standing at the ocean, edge of the ocean or the Grand Canyon, right? You, you're shrinking in his presence when you think about the marvelous, majestic, and mighty things that he's done. Justin. Absolutely. Uh, anybody else? Yes, Annie. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great thought. Anybody else? Bruce? <laughs> Absolutely. Somebody else? There's not really a wrong answer, if you're wondering, because it's, it's how God would guide your prayer, your life. Uh, let's go to Patsy then, Dave. Absolutely, he gives us those songs, right? Somebody else? Oh, Dave, that's right. And I was just thinking that just, just bouncing off the word victory, when I, when I think of victory, I think of um, just wanting victory over uh, sin in my mm. life. And a lot of times, it's like what was bouncing to my mind when I see that is um, just the sinful thoughts of negativity and things like that, just wanting that victory over, over those things and being able to. Yeah, that's good. Somebody else? Yes, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Dave. No, that's great. Good thoughts. Anybody else? Verse 1, Justin. <laughs> For certain. Anybody else? Simple, right? Like as, as you hear other people speak, you're like, oh, my mind wouldn't have gone in that direction. My mind wouldn't have thought about those things. And guess what? That's okay. It's okay that, that we pray in a different way, but each one of these things that was spoken was guided by verse 1 of Psalm 98. It was, it was focused on what the psalmist was saying as he was going through a time in his life about the Lord giving him a new song, and he's recognizing that God has done marvelous things. And don't, don't we need it in the pits of despair? Don't we need to, need to be reminded that God has done marvelous things? Because in the pits of despair, what are we thinking about? God's forgotten me. He's abandoned me. He's forsaken me. I'm all alone. Don't we need to be reminded of, of the victory that, that he has gotten by his right hand and his right arm? Not by our right hand, not by our right arm. It's showing dependence that, God, we need you. Um, those are all excellent thoughts. We'll move on to verse 2. It says, The Lord hath made known his salvation, his righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen you're praying through Psalm 98, verse 2, what would you say? Dave? I, I just think that it's talking about his righteousness that's open in front of the heathen and uh, how much my failing and failings hmm. of not necessarily showing my light to the unbelievers uh, around me and uh, maybe triggering thinking of some of those unbelievers that, uh, that I could be praying for. Yeah, that's good. Caleb? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Justin. Yeah. Absolutely. Somebody else? Annie. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good thought. Remembering where we came from, right? What he saved us from. Somebody else? Uh, Wendy. That's good. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like that thought. There's a a part in the book that gets to the uh, imprecatory prayers in the Psalms. Anybody familiar with those where David prays for the teeth of the unrighteous to be broken, and they're, you know, pretty violent and gruesome prayers that he prays. Um, and in the book, he, he actually talks about that. It's like, what do we pray when we get to these things? Well, as Jody said, why don't we pray for those who are the heathens to, to come to see the righteousness of God and the holiness of God? Or maybe in the imprecatory prayers, we pray, God, help me to see the wickedness in my own heart, Right? Instead of praying those prayers against other people, certainly that's in part what David was doing because the oppression they were facing was real and, and God can handle raw and bitter emotions. We don't have to be afraid to pray. He already knows our heart, right? And so if, if we speak it, he's not, he's not blushing. He's not surprised. Um, but it does do us good to, to remember that we were the enemies of God once as well, um, that we were the aliens that God brought in. So great thought. Anybody else? Verse 2, yes. No, I, I, I think that's great. And, it, you know, as God says, he's made his, his salvation known to the heathen. Um, that's an opportunity, right? And it's an opportunity for God to have shown her through a song uh, the difference he can make. Thanks for sharing that. That's good. Somebody else? Bruce. In a, in a lot of situations uh, where people work and stuff like that, they cannot speak. Yeah. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Let your light so shine before men. Uh, all right, let's move on to verse number three. It says, He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. What would you pray in, in verse three? Yeah, absolutely. How about thank you, God, for remembering that we don't have to remind God. In prayer, we often do remind God of his promises, and I think that's appropriate and fine and okay, but God doesn't forget. He, he has remembered. He does know um, what, what he's going to do. He's gonna know, he, he does know what's right and just and holy. Somebody else? Dave.
Yeah. Just try to think what's as close to the other end of the world that I can make. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. It's not just us, right? It's a, and I, I like that as as well. Um, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Wasn't that the the point in Jesus coming anyways? That he would be a light to all the nations, that all would understand that there is one God. Uh, and that goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God is one. He's one, and the, the nations need to know that. Anybody else? Annie. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's good. Bruce? For sure. And just all those little things that people can see how God intervened for us in yeah. these situations. Yeah. Maybe it's some young man that gets in a car accident who probably should or couldn't be dead right yeah. now. But God has saved him. Yeah. Spared him, yeah, absolutely. That's good. We'll continue on for time's sake, but if we jump down into verse four, it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth, make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Thoughts? Sing loud. Sing loud. Um, like the kids downstairs. Dave? Worship. Yeah? You know, some, of the, some of the songs, that, these newer songs that Dave is introducing us to, you know, I mean, hey, let's face it, at one point, how great thou art was contemporary. Right. <laughs> I do think that's that's good. I it, it actually drives me nuts when you see American missionaries go into another country and Americanize worship. Let them worship according to their culture. As long as it's not sinful, right? You go to a, a church in Africa, they're going to worship very different than we worship here. And guess what? Our God is okay with that. If their heart is in the right spot and they're not doing it for show, I mean... Let's face it, how many times have we done what we do for show? God's not okay with that either, right? So as long as they're doing it with the right heart, then I think it's appropriate. If they're not sinning in doing it, then by all means, praise the Lord. Let them, let them worship the Lord uh, because of His holiness. Anybody else? Oh, man, hands everywhere. Uh, Alicia. That's good. It is. Uh, who else had their hands up? Ethan. Yeah, absolutely. Patsy. I think that's that's appropriate. It reminds us of Paul and Silas in prison, right? They sang and or they prayed and sang praises at midnight in the midst, in the middle of their despair. They lifted up God's name, and our song of praise doesn't always have to be a song of rejoicing, if that makes sense. That it's not where we're overflowing with just these warm and fuzzy feelings, but it's a song of praise comes when you when you read the Psalms and you see David in the depths of his despair still cry out and thank God for being God, right? It's, even though I don't like what I'm going through or the situation is very difficult, at least God is still my refuge. I can still run to him. Jessica. 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That he, he puts the, yeah, again, he puts those songs in our hearts and reminds us uh, of, of his goodness. Um, let's jump on or move on to, let's see, what, was, what verse was that? That was four. Let's do five and six together. They kind of go together. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp, and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets, and the sound of a cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord the king. As, as I think through this, it's like, God, help me to worship you with the things that you've allowed me to have in my life. Let me almost manipulate my opportunities, not manipulate in a bad way, but to be opportunities of praise. And so with, with a trumpet, can you play music that glorifies God? You absolutely can. Can you play music that doesn't glorify God? Certainly you can. So as we think about the opportunities God has given us, God, help me to make every opportunity an opportunity to praise your name. With everything that you've given me, let me use it to bring glory to who you are. Let me see the beauty in, in what you've given me. Anybody else? Any thoughts on that? Some of these verses are a little harder, and I do appreciate that the book says, hey, if you're praying the psalm and you don't know what to pray, just move on, right? It's, we're not interpreting here. We're, we're just trying to have guided prayers. So it's okay if you don't raise your hand. Dave. Yeah. And yet they're spoken of here. Yeah. Um, he used to go to church with a fellow that played drums. Yeah. And he would play drum. Now, was he up there beating like he, you know, not. But, you know, it was, is it appropriate? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. It was funny when we were at camp. Uh, I'm going to tell a, Bruce, a story on Bruce, but I was, I was asking him about um, the old piano, if there was any sentimental attachment to it, if, if it was donated by somebody, he said, I don't know where it came from. I said, well, I'll talk to Mary then. And I talked to Mary, and she said, I don't know where it came from. I'm like, I guess we're good then. Two, two old timers. I talked to Delbert too, and he didn't remember. I, I think I talked to Delbert. But anyways, Bruce said, uh, we were, I was talking about the grand piano. He said, yeah, you can get a grand, uh, that baby grand piano as long as you get one of those boxes. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, you know those boxes that they play, like the little drum... He said, and I want to be the one to play it. Like, who is this guy? Like, um, there you go. And, and, you know, I think there's a part of conservative Christianity that would say, ooh, I don't know about that. But didn't, don't they talk about drums in the Bible? I, I bet if we were around when they were worshiping God in the Old Testament, it would make us uncomfortable today. And if, if it makes us uncomfortable today, there's going to be a lot of Baptists in heaven that are very uncomfortable with the worship that takes place. I, worship needs to be appropriate, right? It, it needs to be done in a reverential way. But you can do all things to the glory of God. We can use a drum or a cornet or a flute or a harp or an electric guitar to the glory of God if that's, if, if that's our heart behind it. And so one day you might see a cajon that's what they're called it's not it's not just a box but it's a cajon on stage and guess what if it's ever done inappropriately we'll take it away but until then why not use what god has given us to give him glory because he deserves it he deserves it let's move on oh bruce go ahead can you imagine when they moved the ark <laughs> and david was singing and dancing and all the instruments were playing and they were singing all the songs man i tell you what <laughs> That would have been a day. I agree. I agree. Um, we're not going to go through the rest of the psalm because I want to do something in the, in the last five minutes um, that I think will be helpful. And, and really all I want you to do is find a partner to pray with and turn to the 23rd psalm and spend five minutes in prayer praying through that psalm together. Um, the 23rd psalm is rich. It is so rich. And if you... Start there and let that psalm guide your prayer. Uh, I think you're going to understand the method or the concept that he's putting forth in the book. I'm not preaching a method or a concept, but I will say the method or the concept could be very helpful if you are struggling in your prayer life. So get a partner. I'm going to close us in prayer when we hit seven, and then we'll be done. But I, I hope the, the thought will stick in your heart and mind that there is a way to pray where you don't get lost and you don't get stuck and you don't get discouraged and it comes through praying the word of God. God has given us his word. 
So why not saturate our prayers with the word that he has given us and allow those things to, to guide our prayers as we pray them? So find a partner. Gabe, you're free. <laughs>